Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com, your one-stop shop for self-growth. Go there for workshops, classes, live classes, on-demand classes, certifications, retreats, whatever it is you are looking for, we have it. Come join us. And now for only $49.99 a month, you have unlimited access to all classes live and the entire on-demand schedule. So you can make it work for you. So if you are looking for a chance to deepen your practice, show up every day, or even just a couple times a week, this is the membership for you. We cannot wait to see you in class. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up. Welcome everybody to Den Talks Live, um, which we don't always get to do. So it's nice to have everyone here. Um, one of my favorite people to talk to, and I know you guys have been amazing because we've switched this around a couple times. So um, we appreciate everyone's patience. Um, is Paul, and we get to have the amazing Paul Selig in front of us, um, the prolific, the incredible, the most humble, which is what's always so incredible about you, and full of so much wisdom that we are all so incredibly lucky that you share. And I know he'd be the first to be like, it's not me who's filled with the wisdom. <laughs> um, but Paul, and I'm going to be working today mostly off of the text with, from his last trilogy, Alchemy, but obviously referring to all of his work. We had a really in-depth conversation about his other books from our, our previous podcast, so please feel free to go there. And everyone who knows who came to the last Dentox Live or listened to the last podcast, we're not here to have Paul just perform and channel. We're here to talk about the wisdom of the books and everything we can learn from it. So it's like you learn from the wisdom. Every moment is its own moment. And that's what we're going to take from all of this. And we're so excited to have Paul here. And thank you. And you can tell he's in Hawaii now. So Paul, welcome from Hawaii. Thank you for being with us like always. Um, and thank you for always taking the time. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so you know what I found so interesting about this book specifically was, and, and all of the books always kind of talk about kind of unleashing our preconceived notions. But this one's so much about identity, which for me was fascinating because, correct me if I'm wrong, the timing of it is when you got the channels, was it right before the pandemic began? Shortly before, yeah. It was the last book that was channeled prior to the pandemic. Um, I think it was finished at the end of the summer before um, because it was out in, you know, gosh. Well, actually, it was out in August, so it was done. Yeah, it was done before the pandemic. Um, yeah. It came out when I was here on Maui already, so I'd already left New York and and was here. So yeah, it was a, it was the last before what they've done since, which was actually during the pandemic was the last book they channeled actually. So that's going to be out soon. Yeah, well, I, what I found so fascinating about it, thinking about that while reading it, is because it was so much about identity. And I think the one thing for everyone about this time, from the beginning till now, is shifting your identity, is really learning who you are truly without all of the attachments, without all the preconceived notions, without all the roles that we've told ourselves we are. So I was actually kind of giggling. I'm like, God, it's so fascinating when you can see this from a bigger perspective, how important this wisdom was in the divine timing that it was given to us. And for me, I mean, for anyone, I would assume who's even on this call, the idea of identity has probably been something, whether they've been giving themselves the time to think about it, it's probably been in the back of their mind regardless. And so, you know, 
I know I've worked a lot with it. You and I were just talking about, we both did versions of kind of these fasts this past week. And I was on this solo deep retreat. And one of the things I was working on a lot was like identity and roles and really looking at every role that I consider that I play, the ones that are good, the ones that are bad and kind of unraveling it. So it's all such divine timing. But getting into this text itself is one of the things that were said was the cost of all of this is what you think, not what you know. And I found that such an interesting and fascinating way to say it because you're like, what you think, not what you know. And it's like, yes, that is the cost of it. And that's a hard cost for a lot of people, which is tearing away because what you know, you can easily be like, okay, teach me something else. But what you think is so ingrained in every morsel of your being and having to unleash what you think, every judgment from no matter what you perceive as, no, there's no way this isn't correct. There's no way this isn't good. To let that go is hard. So I have two questions from that, which is one, do you think that's a major stopping point for a lot of people on the journey? And two, is there, and I kind of know this answer, I laughed when I was like rewriting it in my head, um, to, is there any way to know what it is we specifically need to be letting go of? Or does that answer everything? <laughs> okay. I mean, I'll, I'll see if I can address this. You know, the, te the teaching of the guides is that who we are exists at a higher level than the personality structure. There's nothing wrong with the personality structure. They've been known to call it the small self but that's not to denigrate it. It's just, you know, the self that's been indoctrinated into belief systems, you know, the religion of the family we were born into, the culture of the times, you know, and, uh, you know, what's popular, what's not, what it means to be a man or a woman, all of this hereditary, you know, you know this, this uh, structure that we've inherited. And the idea of moving beyond that isn't to dismiss that, it's to move to a greater knowing. And they say that the true self that you are, that I am, that everybody is, is the aspect of self that knows who it is beyond those limitations, beyond those ways of, of codifying identity. And so the transition I think that one goes through as part of this work is a relinquishing of who we thought we were supposed to be. And that usually happens through confronting it. For mm -hmm. me, it wasn't and isn't a graceful process at all. The book helped me, was dictated. I've never been through anything like it, that book. I didn't know I was in my Saturn return, but I was, you know, through the whole thing. So my whole world was getting turned inside out during that. And stuff was coming up that I didn't want to deal with at all. Um, but the guides say, you know, every aspect of self has to be brought forward to the light. You know, they say who you put in darkness calls you to the darkness and those aspects of ourselves that we hide or shield ourselves from or seek to bury also need to be brought to the light in order to be transformed. And that's the process I think that one undergoes. It can be graceful, but for me, it hasn't been. And so letting go of who I think I am is really just letting go of my investment in an identity. Not so much perhaps letting go of the identity itself. I'm still in a male body. I'm still a white guy. I'm still, you know, 59 years old. These are ways I, these are ways I can know myself, but the true self that I am, we could say, exists beyond gender and age and ethnicity and all of those things. And it's not to dismiss those things. They're part of our experience here. But when you're moving to the infinite self, which is, I suspect they would say, you know, the self that exists beyond linearity, duality, all those things, the self that isn't uh, 
entrenched in time as a construct, um, which is where all things can then be made possible. You're sort of liberated at that level. Um, you know, that part of us does come at the cost of the old and how we've invested. So does it stop? Yeah, I'm not there. You know, I do the work. Now, you know, I always have to say, I'm not a spiritual teacher and I'm not the author of the books. The books themselves are dictated through me. I close my eyes, I sit in a chair, they talk, it's recorded and the recordings are transcribed and those become the books. And the last, I think, five books were done in front of audiences, you know, entirely. So I, when I speak about their teachings, I'm speaking about my best understanding. And if they want to come through and correct me, you know, they may, and they, they've been known to. So yes, is, it limiting, you know, is it limiting? Is it for some people? Yeah, absolutely. It's completely inconvenient. There's nothing convenient about this teaching. It's why I'll never be doing cruise ships. You know, it's like, you know, who wants to who wants to hear that you're going to have to forget who you are and then, you know, go to the breakfast buffet. I mean, nobody you know, you want to hear I'm going to get a condo. I'm going to get my great boyfriend. I'm going to, you know, then let's go. <laughs> Breakfast. But what they're, what they're promising, I suspect, is something far greater, you know, which is an awareness of who and what we are that exists beyond, um, beyond time. I know it's interesting because you did talk about, I mean, in the book, they say, they talk about, is it the attic metaphor they use? How, you know, you cannot clean out the attic if you don't want to, but that shit's still up there getting dirty and, and musty. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's like your shadow work. You have to do the shadow work because it's part of you whether you want to whether you want to do the work or not the mm -hmm. attic's still there filled with all your junk absolutely right yeah so you say it was really hard for you what were you like are you willing to share some of the things you were going through because you you can tell it's funny that you said that i definitely felt like they were writing you a little bit more in this book when i was writing when when i was speaking the book you know it was all being done in workshops um you know, around the country. I was traveling, you know, three weekends a month usually and doing these long retreats. So, well, the very first, I didn't know, I don't know when they're gonna start a book. I have a general sense of when they, they, I expect them to start, but they don't always do it. And I went to the Esalen Institute to channel expecting that they would start a book. And they did a weekend workshop and there was nothing for the book. And I went, okay. And um, I had a five day workshop there after that. And I woke up on the second day of the workshop to the news that um, a friend of mine from my academic life, I'd been a, you know, an, a, a college teacher, an academic administrator for, for 25 years, had taken his life. And I got the email um, probably at eight in the morning. And then I went to class at nine and that's when they started the book. And they started the Oof. book when it was completely derailed, completely derailed and consequently completely out of the way. Um, but the entire book was like that. So everything that I didn't want to attend to about myself, my personal relationships, um, you know, the challenges that come with beginning to become a public person, which I'm not comfortable with at all. I'm a very private person, quite shy. Um, all of that stuff. And it was happening, you know, while I was sitting in front of groups of people, you know, every weekend in another city. And when the book was coming, you know, I can't read, I don't, I'll, I'll read the transcriptions to, to see that the transcriptionist didn't mispunctuate or drop a word sometimes, but I don't read them carefully. And I don't do that until the entire manuscripts inform and sometimes not even then. But I kept thinking this book needs to be published with a warning. You know, if, if the reader's going to go through what I'm going through during this, 
I don't wish it um, on anybody. But when I read the book, I thought it was pretty astonishing. It's very clear. In a lot of ways, it's one of the more readable books um, and extraordinarily practical in what they're teaching. And they're teaching about, I think, the, the process of what they call transposition, the transposition of identity, the transposition of the energetic field between one level of being to another. They speak about this, this level of consciousness. They call it the upper room. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they say that like every song can be sung in multiple octaves into infinity. You can go higher and higher and higher beyond what the ears can hear. And they say that we're existing in this octave. It's a shared construct of reality. Everything's in tone. Everything's in vibration. And the work of the guides in this book in some ways is transposing the octave of our being to the higher which is the process of lifting, but you don't get to lift and carry all your crap. You know, it doesn't happen. So that's what was happening. And I have to say, on the other side of this, my life is entirely different. I'm having an experience of being alive that I never thought I would. So I'm grateful for it in retrospect, but while I was going through it, not, not so much. Do you feel lighter? Yeah, I do. I feel lighter and a hell of a lot less invested in who I thought I was supposed to be. Um, and, and maybe that's the big step, you know. I, I was, um, you know, I was a New Yorker. I'd lived in New York City my whole life, pretty much, except for, you know, six years in Cape, and I couldn't stand the Cape, so I went back to New York. You know, and I was in Costa Rica channeling when New York City shut down. I had a, I just rented a new apartment. My stuff hadn't even been moved. I was, you know, thinking that that might solve my problems. And, you know, I found myself on Maui where a friend said, you know, come here, there's a tiny house you can stay in. And I just never left, you know, which is the kind of thing I would never normally do. I'm, I'm a very much a creature of habit. And so I'm, I'm yeah, everything's different and everything's lighter, you know. And um, I, I feel that the work of the guides is absolutely what's allowed me to be on this adventure now. And, and feel extraordinarily well taken care of through it, I have to say, which is a whole other experience. That's um, interesting. Are you trusting yeah. more? Yeah, I really am. You see, the guides, I mean, the guides, you know, when the guides talk about manifestation, they're not talking about getting stuff. They're saying that everything we see and are experiencing individually and collectively, we're in vibrational accord with all of it. So it's not that I made the war in the Middle East, they would say, but you're in accord with it because your consciousness is in agreement to it. And how you hold that war, that thing you see, or that person in your life is informing it as well because there is a relationship happening energetically. And, um, you know, what they say is you go to the upper room, you go to this level of vibration and you actually stop asking and you just start receiving. Mm. start moving into this kind of grace where you know you're aware of the source of all things so you're not demanding and banging your fist against the wall saying how come I don't have this yet you know where's my lover where's my this where's my that it's a different way of experiencing and and that's actually been my experience now for a year of things coming at the right time and the right people. And a lot of it's been so synchronistic and it's been nuts. You know, I mean, I have a lot of stories about that. 
Um, and I'm grateful for it because it's allowing me to trust. And it's also allowing me to stop effort and to develop gratitude because I'm not operating from this fear of scarcity in quite the ways that I used to. It's not that I don't get scared and I don't have my, my stuff and I don't demand things, <clears throat> but my experience has been radically different. It's almost as if the resistance to receiving has been moved. Mm. So I've moved into another level of allowance that it can be so, it will be so. You know, I'm no longer sort of grabbing, I'm open. Um, and it's a different way of experiencing myself and my world and people. And what do you think shifted? Because I think that's such an interesting point, because you said my position of receiving has shifted. Yeah. And, you know, most people would be like, but I'm here, I'm ready, I'm ready to receive. What are you talking about? I'm fine, I can receive. So what, what do you feel like has shifted? I'm going to ask the guides because I don't know. I don't know that I can describe it, and perhaps they'll they'll come through and say. But I should say, if I channel, I whisper the words and repeat them. And it sounds crazy, but this is just how it. Um, what shifted was his availability to light, so and his agreement that it can be so. Many of you ask for things. Many of you ask for things, but you deny that it can be so. But you deny that they can be so, or what you're asking for, or what you're asking for is born of an egoic structural need. Is born of an egoic structural need. I should have this because this is who I am. I should have this because this is who I am. That is the personality seeking to indoctrinate. That is the personality seeking to indoctrinate itself, seeking to indoctrinate itself into spirituality. Into spirituality, God will do what I say because. I am. God will do what I say because this is who I am. When you understand who you are, when you understand who you are as an aspect of God, as an aspect of God, you become the recipient of the divine. You become the recipient of the divine because you're in accord to it, because you are in accord to it. You're not going to place at the table. You are not denying your place at the table or demanding, or demanding to sit at the head of the table and commandeer the wait staff and commandeer the wait staff. The divine as you who has come, the divine as you who has come, as and through you, as and through you is the receiver is the receiver you are the glass that is always full you are the glass that is always full and consequently in overflow and consequently in overflow and available to give others and available to give others what you require to give what you require to give what you no longer need what you no longer need or what is necessary for their well-being or what is necessary for their well-being period in their same period so I love that because it's, you know, in the book, they also talked about this idea of people look at scarcity and having stuff and they don't realize when they say there's no such thing as scarcity, they're not saying that means you can have, and I think it's kind of what they were just saying now, it's not that you can just have every single thing you want in the world. It's just you will always be taken care of of what you need. Yeah. So that seemed like I was like, oh, and it's. I mean, I don't know about everyone else. That really got my head spinning about my own stuff of just like when, you know, things that you feel like you need or you're asking for direction or help that feels very innocent. Yeah, there's usually ego involved, whether you realize or not. That's a hard thing to dismantle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is. But I get any, but this was a year for you that felt like you were dismantling it. Well, everything was, you know, I lived, first of all, I didn't plan to come here. I had no. I'd been to Mount. I'd been to Hawaii once on a blind date. It was a train wreck. I said, I never "Wait, you went to Hawaii on a blind date?" Yeah, don't ask me that. Tell you that story. That oh, was. Wait. This feels like it might have to be the story. Who does that? That's amazing. It was, it was a risk, um, but anyway, <laughs> I said, "We're going back to Hawaii." That was years ago, and I wound up here because a friend was here, 
and helped me find a place to stay and sent me a plane itinerary. And I was, you know, I couldn't, I literally couldn't go home. You know, New York was in complete lockdown. And um, I lived for, you know, basically a year out of the one suitcase I brought with nothing familiar. My dog got sent to me finally after 10 months. Um, I lived with very little um, and the familiarity of the known wasn't present. And I found out how little I actually needed, which was mm. kind of great. And that my way of being in the world, at least my, a part of me was all about my conditioning and my sense of convenience and what should be. Um, I had wanted to move for years and didn't. And um, I ended up doing that. So it was a big surprise to me and to everybody. When you say you wanted to move for years, were you aware you wanted to move? Or is this like in hindsight, you're like, oh, I really wanted to move and I no, wasn't I was owning it? For a while. You know, I taught at NYU for 25 years, mm-hmm. faculty of, of, of the School of the Arts. And when I left that job about six years ago, I also realized, you know, this is what was keeping me in the city. You know, I had employment in the city in my field. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And um, when I left that, suddenly I could do anything I wanted, but all I had was what I knew. And I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really willing to take the risk. So, um, yeah, I wanted to get out. Um, I just never expected I would wind up where I did in the circumstances that I did in the community that I found here. It's all been kind of wonderfully perfect. So I'm very, very grateful. And like I said, I thought it was interesting because I did notice, I mean, I find your guides to be very, I mean, they have a sense of humor. It's fascinating. And they give you a hard time. But I noticed in this one too, I'm like, wow, there's more commentary about you struggling with the teachings than I felt like there usually were. So this is interesting insight that you were. Yeah, I was in pain for a lot of that, you know, and the guides actually do very well (laughs) with me when I'm like, when I don't want to channel, you know, I I actually had, I remember having to channel like two hours after I put my, put my poor dog to sleep, you know, <sighs> like, how am I going to do this? And then they come through with this beautiful, beautiful lecture and they've worked and sort of by overriding me, you know, as needed. Um, and when I'm out of the way, I'm actually a better channel, you know, when I could care less about the transmission because I'm just waiting for it to be over. You know, there's any, any, my, even my desire to listen to it as it's coming is gone, you know, and this entire book was done, I want to say in somewhat extraordinary circumstances for me, you know, Mm -hmm. at a very specific time and juncture in my life, other books were extremely comfortable. The book of, um, I think it was the book of freedom Mm -hmm. was the one that was done mostly in front of audiences. When I channeled that, everything was, it was was like somebody was sitting down next to me reading the text that they had already written into my ear, a sentence at a time. It was slow, procedural. It was the easiest channeling. I thought, oh, this is great. Let it always be like this. It was just like I was being read a bedtime story that I was repeating. And other books have been really rock and roll through my system, you know, because the information that's coming through is so challenging to me personally that I've been known to interrupt it and say, you know, what's, what is this? And the guides will now say, it's always in the text, Paul is interrupting. I was going to ask if that was you li- literally interrupting or your brain was thinking something. 
I, 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 I'm beginning to, I'm usually, what they got, what they've begun to do, which I think is sort of genius on their part, is they began at a certain point to anticipate my interruptions. So I was about to ask a question mentally, and they'll say, Paul is interrupting, and then they'll phrase the question for me. Which is, well, what it allows them to do is not derail the teaching. They're staying in control of the narrative. There was one book where I was, I, the first three books were done. I used to call this woman, Victoria Nelson, on the phone. I'd put the recorder on, but I, the guides have to have somebody to talk to. Now the books are done before at times hundreds of people. But Victoria was in the room with me once and I was nervous to have her physically there when I was channeling because I was so used to the ritual of the phone and the dog in my lap and everything that used to happen. And her sneakers squeaked on the floor and I jumped out of my skin and it derailed the channeling. I'm like, ah! And the guides literally, they said, okay, we're just gonna keep talking. We'll decide after the fact if this is in the text. And they delivered a whole lecture about my anger, which ended up in the text. They <laughs> said, this is, and they said, yes, and this is in the text. But you see, the rule with the books have been always, from the very first one, that I don't get to edit it. You know, the books are the unedited transcripts. So if there was, all, in the first or second book, the UPS guy buzzed the buzzer while I was channeling in the first four minutes, and the guide said, stop, because I was screaming. You know, I was so upset. Um, but that's the only time we've stopped a channeling. And, you know, and then they, they did deliver the lecture the next morning um, instead. But nothing gets changed. So when the guides say something that I'm challenged by, I, because I can hear it, you know, I'm not listening closely, but I can hear it. I feel a little bit accountable. You know, I don't write the books, but my name appears in the cover. So if they were to say the moon is made of green cheese, I would say, hey, wait a minute. And they'd have to explain it. And that's happened a few times. In the Book of Mastery, one day they begin a lecture saying, you know, nothing is real. And I went, okay, I've heard that before. So what? You know, let them go do their thing. And then the next morning they started off, everything is real. And I went, oh, my God, I can't do this. It's a contradiction. And then they unpack that. And... Um, I didn't know what to make of it. It was a beautiful teaching. Mm -hmm. And I was channeling at Esalen once. I was co-teaching with this guy, Jeffrey Kripal, who's the head of the religious studies program at Rice. He's a religious scholar on Gnosticism, of all things. Mm -hmm. And I told him this, and he said, oh, yeah, I know that one. That was um, Meister Eckhart said that. You know, okay, great. You know, it's an old, it's an old mystical teaching. Nothing is real. Everything is real. And I understand it now because they're talking about sort of dimensional reality. But, you know, at the time, I just thought, oh, my God, you know, it's a contradiction. How am I going to go forward? And they just do their stuff. I just my job is to sit in the chair and try to listen clearly. And I should leave it at that. I mean, they were so funny that one of my favorite lines in this book was when you were like, is this was is this the name of the chapter? And they were like. Basically, they're like, we will tell you when it's time to name the chapter. And then they just kept going. They were like, and if we want to name it, it's time to take a nap, Paul. We're going to name it. It's time to take a nap. And I was just like, wow, they're like, sorry, they're on you on this one. It could just, it cracked me up. Um, do you feel like your relationship with them has changed through the years? Or it's just about channeling the books? I don't, you know, I, yeah, I'm sure it's changed. Um, I think there's a sense of, of having collaborators with them at this point. I show up, they show up, and that's a collaboration. You know, I show up for the work. And the one thing that I, I give credit myself credit for 
is showing up consistently and often when I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. you've shown up for this. Um, and not because, you know, it was my work. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a reliable worker, but I've also been so intrigued by this. I never, I, I still don't really understand how it happens and how I do this thing. I just know that it's real. And, you know, every time I do it, it's real. When I'm not doing it, it it's not that it feels unreal. It just feels sort of intangible. It's kind of like the memory of being in the swimming pool is nothing like swimming. The experience of swimming is swimming. You can conjure the memory, but it's not the same as being in the pool. And when I'm channeling, I'm in the pool and everything. That's all I know is that energy. And, you know, I, it's, a, it's a very physical process for me, too. I mean, my body is used. I've been told my eyes change color, you know, they go bright blue often when I'm channeling and I have, you know, hazel eyes. Um, so I continue to do this because I want to see where it goes. You know, I'm still in this process with this. I'm not, I, I don't know that I'm their best student, but I'm a reliable conduit mm. for, their, for their work. See, that I love, that's how humble you always are. You're the best student. I mean, and they would probably be the first to say there's no such thing as best. We're all just students, right? I think that there are people that I've met that are working with these teachings and having, and I, I meet them, I read for them, you know, they, they write me or having really extraordinary experiences of themselves in transformation. Um, and I go, wow, you know, I read for a young man last week. Who I'd, I've never seen him or met him in person who had an, you know, who told me that he, he now loved himself. Mm. And I knew, I knew he meant it and I knew it was real and he really got it. And I'm like, well, I'm still working on that one. You know, I, I'm still working there, but I knew he got it. You know, and, um, you know, this, the guides, they say, you know, they don't teach self-help. This isn't about improving yourself. It's not about that. It's about it. It's about renewing yourself in, in an entirely different way. And I trust that. But I, I show up as I can and I can be very stubborn. You know, there are things I don't want to do. You know, I'm now meditating every day, you know, to be <laughs> Um, but I'm doing that because my doctor told me, Paul, you need to meditate every day. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. You know, the guides have been suggesting it would be helpful for quite some time, but that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to do it. So I want to talk about something I feel like people do not take enough advantage of, our certifications. A lot of people don't realize we have as many certifications as we do. Here's a beauty. You can now do it no matter where you live in the world or what your time zone is. There is something for you. And again, certifications are a brilliant way if you're looking to change your career, if you're interested in something you just want to know more, or frankly, if you kind of are craving to go on a deeper journey with yourself. Certifications are a brilliant way to do that. And we cover everything from Reiki's all the way up to master level, intuitive healing trainings if you're really looking to hone that psychic ability or become an energetic healer, um, teacher training, which is an intense, incredible program for self-exploration, or if you want to become a teacher, animal communications, breath work, the list goes on and we're always adding new courses and ways to expand what you know and what you want to learn. So go to denanywhere.com, check out certifications and courses and join us. You know, they say in this book that a, a way to connect to this idea of a true identity of the divine within yourself and the divine within others is to take just five minutes 
every day. And I was going to ask this question, do they have a specific suggestion of like what type of meditation or how to connect or? I don't recall. I don't recall that in the book, but I remember maybe a third of, of what's in any of the books. I'm sure. So I don't, they've never prescribed anything. I mean, they're in some of the books, they, they do give meditations that are very specific and, you know, sitting in the current of, of, of the divine, like that. I don't recall what it was. I can ask them if there's anything that they want to prescribe. Thank you. Now they're saying, thank you. No, how you choose to meditate. How you choose to meditate is up to you. If you choose to do it up to you as well. If you choose to do it is up to you as well. We don't like to be prescriptive. We don't like to be prescriptive. We will say this. However, we will say this. Each of, an opportunity. Each of you has an opportunity to know who and what you are, to know who and what you are by releasing an idea of self. By releasing an idea of self that can be easily accessed, that can be easily accessed in a higher state of consciousness, in a higher state of consciousness, the idea of stilling the mind. The idea of stilling the mind is a vehicle for change, as a vehicle for change is highly useful, is highly useful, but until the mind is moved, but until the mind is moved to a new level of being, to a new level of being, in more ways or not, in more ways than not, then not, you will recreate the old, you will recreate the old because it's all you've really known, because it's all you've really known, the transposition of reality or identity, the transposition of reality or identity comes through the lifting of vibration, comes through the lifting of vibration, the release of a sense of self, the release of a sense of self that the active mind is invested in, that the active mind is invested in the meditation practice. A meditation practice can simply teach you, can simply teach you to move beyond a sense of self, to move beyond a sense of self that was never truly who you were, that was never truly who you were. It's not guarantee. It does not necessarily guarantee to discover who you are, that you will discover who you truly are, period. And they're saying period. I mean, I love how they're not prescriptive. And I, but they're right. I guess when you slow it, it's the only time you're open enough to be able to take that different perspective shift. You know, I don't know. I mean... When they teach, you know, when they do, I mean, if they do it online, you know, all the time. I like the live groups because you can sort of watch everybody do the work and you can feel the energy build in the room. And, you know, people get to these amazing places with this work through the attunements that the guides offer, through working, applying them. And this doesn't require that you, you know, sit in meditation for 40 minutes before you do it. You know, people ask me, do you have to you meditate before you work? And actually, no. I mean, sometimes I might. But for me, I'm a radio, and I think we're all radios. And I, I use the, the radio metaphor intentionally. Mm -hmm. So I'm a radio, and when I'm operating as Paul, you know, this is the station I'm playing. When I channel, it's like I'm turning the dial just an iota. Like if you turn the station on a radio dial, it's not arduous. You just shift. I shift to the station where the guides are. And if I'm reading you psychically, I'm talking to you. I'm playing your station. And you want to ask about your husband, I switch the dial to him. And that's how I operate. It's like being a switchboard. And for me, that's just as much about aligning to different levels of, 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 of consciousness or vibration. It's not arduous. It does require a stepping out of the way. Mm -hmm. And I think meditation can be very helpful for people in order to do that. I just may be wired to do that. You know, um, I didn't know that I could step into people and resemble them. I mean, I've been filmed, you know, reading people that I've never met and sort of somatizing their their bodily problems. You know, it's it's, it's quite interesting. 
Well, I mean, but I didn't know that I could do that till I did it, you know, and I went, oh, my God, I do this, you know, it's, it's, and if I can do it, that means it's available. It means it can be done, you know, that just means it's available for anybody to an extent if you're willing to allow it. Well, and it goes back to what they were talking a lot about vibration, right? That, and that's part of the upper room is this different frequency and this different vibration you take on when you can let go of the roles and the constraints that we have, as a community, have created, which is actually my question, too. If you're going to the upper room, because I talk about it a lot with octaves, which I, I like that. I think it's very helpful. Um, can you go in and out? It, or is this one thing you can only go into the upper room once you kind of attain it? Or are you dropping in and out constantly? Oh, I mean, I drop in and out constantly. And um, the book that they're, that they, that's coming out in August is the first book that's beginning to teach and the maintenance of, of that level of vibration. Mm. But the guides say, you know, because they can bring everybody to the upper room in, in, in moments in a workshop. And they often do. And you go there. And they, they'll say, okay, now what do you fear? And there's nothing there. There's nothing to fear because they say fear doesn't exist here. Fear mm -hmm. exists in the strata. But if you want to be frightened, you can be. And if you want to choose that, you can go back downstairs. So if I want to get nice and resentful at somebody, I can go back downstairs. You know, it's up to me. You know, so they say this. It's like this is, they say, so, you know, it's like you've been living, say, in the basement apartment looking at the world through a transom window. And that's the world you've seen, and that's what you expect and you know. And somebody says, here's an apartment on the 25th floor. The views are completely different. And then all of a sudden you go, well, this is great, but my family photo albums down, back down in the basement. I've got to run downstairs and get it. And then you try to bring all your crap with you up there, and it doesn't work. You know, it keeps bringing you back down. So it's sort of learning. Let me ask if they want to explain this. They're saying thank you, yes, the who that transposes in the upper room, in the upper room is the true self, is the true self who does not hold the bias, who does not hold the bias or the fear or the fear, the judgment, the judgment, recrimination, recrimination that the small self does, that the small self does, if you wish those opportunities, if you wish those opportunities to learn through, you can have them again, you can have them again, but they exist in the lower octave, but they exist in the lower octave, you may learn there if you wish. You may learn there if you wish. It can be highly productive to learn there. It can be highly productive to learn there. We're not dismissing it. We are not dismissing it, but you can also transpose it. But you can also transpose it, know it anew, know it anew, lift the world to you in the upper, lift the world to you in the upper without collaborating with the fear, without collaborating with the fear as a creative way of being, as a creative way of being. Everything claimed in fear. Everything claimed in fear claims more fear, claims more fear when you go to the upper room. When you go to the upper room as a level of vibrational consciousness, as a level of vibration and consciousness and consciousness, you understand yourself beyond those things. You understand yourself beyond those things, not rely upon them, and no longer rely upon them in the ways that perhaps you have, in the ways that perhaps you have, period, in the same period. So if you, here's my other question then off of that. If you, I like that. So both are classrooms. You learn from both. And I like to say we don't dismiss the learning from this incarnation and which makes sense because we're all learning so much every day. When you do go to the upper room or, and go to that octave and you're in a different vibration, do you receive something there that like basically that transposes or changes when you go back down? So therefore it's like, kind of like you've learned something, you've gone there, does it help shift a perspective when you're down below? I think it does. I think that it gets more uncomfortable. 
you know, it gets really uncomfortable. I mean, I learned years and years and years ago that I can't lie. I'm terrible at it. And I it when I do it, you know what I mean? It's just not good. So I can't, you know, it's like, ah. um, <laughs> and you know, when we outgrow behavior, it becomes uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And when I begin to have the realization, you know, when I channeled this book, this book of mastery, and it was an interesting time. It was the only other time it was comparable to what I went through with alchemy. I, um, was loving my life. I liked my academic work. I had a great apartment in New York. I was wonderfully skinny. I had this great little dog. You know, I was just happy about everything. And the guides prepared for this next book. And within three months, I think, the apartment building I was in got sold. I was told I had to move. The dog died. I injured my back. I couldn't walk. I gained, it was like horrible, everything. And I ended up channeling this next book with ice packs down my back, you know. And the guy, and I wasn't a happy camper at all. And the guy said, well, you know, you can't be a victim and a master at the same time. A victim and a what? Master? You can't claim, you can't claim both identities at once. And that was a real toughie because I was angry at everybody and everything, you know, and feeling very much the victim. And I couldn't rest in that role anymore, you know, in the ways that I might still like to do. It's an easier, it's an easy one for me. I was a, you know, a chubby kid who was bullied. I can play the victim for the rest of my life and feel very confident and comfortable in that way of claiming identity. It just doesn't serve me at all. And it doesn't get me anything. So when you find out that the way that we've been doing things doesn't really get us, you see, I'd say we're always getting what we expect. And that's a kick in the head, you know. We talked a lot about that on the last podcast, which I love, which is vibrationally, you're create basically you create the room in front of you, you create your entire life. And I teach from that all the time, because I find it so fascinating of like, you will just keep attracting what it is. You expect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So So that's the small self, though, you see, when you when you begin to shift that you move to another level of expectation or, or, or promise, perhaps. You know, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's such an experiential thing that it's almost hard for me to describe it. They can describe it because it's their teaching. I can only talk about what it feels like for me, you know, how I understand it. And I'm, I'm limited somewhat in, in, in my ability to do it justice. Well, do you feel like, as you were just saying, that you were a chubby kid, bullied, so that was an easy identity for you? Identity that I claimed, yeah. Do you feel like it's interesting that you were saying you were kind of on, in your mind, top of your life, riding high exactly where you wanted to be, and it brought you back into that identity? Do you, is there something about, because is, that was the identity you hadn't really truly shed yet, even though you felt like it, that you were being given these lessons? I think that's, I mean, I, I don't think I had shed that. I think that that was a way for me to operate in the world, that bad things were happening to me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I was a victim and then I had somebody to blame, you know, which the landlord, whatever, you know, name, name it, you know, I could do whatever I wanted. But I, when I, I don't know what, when I go back to that period of my life, it was the beginning of an enormous transition into this work fully, you know, and leaving the identity that I'd held, you know, I mean, it's not a normal thing for somebody who's, you know, say 50 years old 
to walk away from a career they've had, you know, for 25 years and benefits and insurance and things like that. You know, I had friends that were getting ready to retire and just literally walked away from everything that I'd done in order to let this work come through. I've been doing everything at once and I've been hiding still. And it gets a little harder to hide at some point. I used to show up at NYU and the, the kids were very sweet. I mean, you know, they'll Google their professors. So, you know, they'd come in and see me like, this is the guy who's whispering and repeating on YouTube, you know? <laughs> and very sweet. I mean, once, you know, I there was a TV show that wanted to, to shoot me at NYU. And I was like, they, I said, they don't know what I do. I can't do that. And I, I, and then I thought about it. I said, you know, the guides say that the action of fear is to claim more fear, and every choice you make in fear gets you more of the same. So I called my department chair and I said, I don't know if you know this about me, but I work as an intuitive, and like the the biography channel wants to to film me. He said, Oh, that's A and E. They can come. That's fine. I'm like, what? They didn't, didn't care. They didn't care. But then I had to tell the kids, and I said to the kids, and they were all very sweet. I said. You know, I don't know if you know this about me. And they said, we know. <laughs> they just had been polite. And when the camera crew came, they all dressed up and Aww. they pretended to be interested in hearing a lecture on Aristotle that I had given them months before. And I was very proud of them. They didn't use the footage, but I got a kick out of it. And so much of what I feared would happen in, in becoming public with this, most of it is not, thank goodness, you know. Um, but that was the beginning of a period of letting go of, of, of a way of being in the world that was safe, actually, um, but was not meant to go on forever. That's the only way I can say it. Can you help reconcile the idea of fear a little bit? Because especially so much of this book and in general, the teachings are always about identity and yeah. that the idea of fear is the biggest thing that separates you from yourself, the divine, the divine part of you and others. But then everything is also created by the divine and is divine. So fear is also divine. So what's how do you reconcile the two that that's what separates you from it, but is also part of it? Fear is of God, but doesn't know it. You know, everything is of God. And I said, well, what about fear? And they said, well, fear is also of God, but denies it. So the, the guides have said that the only real problem that humanity faces is what they call the denial of the divine. That's it. And every problem that we have can really be sort of reduced to that idea that we're denying the inherent divinity of what we see, or that the denial of the divine is what has precipitated the violence or whatever we want to, you know, call out. And I think that there's real truth there. And I think it's a very simple way of, of beginning to understand it. And the, in, in the new book, The Kingdom, that's coming out this summer, they work with that very directly through the claim. And it's another, it's energetic, it's a whopper, but the claim God is, God is, God is. Which you claim in the face of the denial of the divine. We talk about that as a way to, to shift and transmute or to lift the energy of what you encounter. So the big thing, I think, well, the guys say it this way. It's like we're born into a pool that somebody peed in already, you know. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> and there's all this fear. And we just, we're used to it. We become accustomed to it. And we go into an agreement with it, which is vibrational accord. And then we end up perpetuating without even knowing it. And so what the work of the guides is, has been lifting us. And one of the, one of the, uh, the attunements, I'm, I'm free, I am free, I am free, which was the, from the Book of Freedom, is really about the, the willingness 
to move beyond this idea of, you can call it matrix, because the popular word or the guides don't use it, beyond this way of, of sort of being in agreement with the collective consciousness, which has already been so used to polarization and to fear. But guides say, for example, you know, you've lived with war for so long that you expect it to always be there and consequently it will. Hmm. And, you know, until you shift to a level of consciousness where that's not a possibility, it will be there. And that's up to us, but it's, it's not going to happen through damning war. The gods say what you damn damns you back, you know, what you bless blesses you in return. And they're talking about alchemy here. And they're talking about the awareness of the inherent divine upon what has been denied the light as what can transpose it. Now, I think it's important, and they stress this a lot, that there's a difference between fear and prudence. I was and just about to ask this question. Yeah, it's a very important distinction. So if I want to go swimming and there's a sign that says sharks in the water, it's prudent not to go into the water. That's it. You know? I mean, I can decide to skate on the pond where it says thin ice and know that I might fall through. It's not um, making the pond evil, you know, or, run, or never going back in the water or back on the ice again. And I think that that's basically just about discernment, you know. I, I think it's really that simple and so I, I, I'm, I'm pleased that they speak to that and they speak to it in a lot of the different books because people think that they need fear. And I think we need prudence more than fear. If we need so off that, it's the same thing, off that, because a big part of these teachings is not only finding the divine within yourself, but making sure you, you, you not making sure, but it's knowing that it's in others too mm -hmm. and seeing in others and knowing that everyone contracts, you know, has a contract that they come you know, to this incarnation with, and sometimes it might be perceived in the way we have constructs that it might be bad or good, but these are all divine roles and we're all divine humans. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it says, and the minute you look at someone, no matter what, and you take the divine out of them, then you are creating that separateness and are separating yourself from that as well. But what happens? So then I kept thinking, okay, let's do the dark alley idea. Like as a woman, you know, not that it only happens to women, but just speaking as a woman, um, you know, walking down a dark alley and you just have a feeling it's not safe and it's you and one other person. And let's say then a rape does happen or something happens, but the whole time you're like, nope, everyone's divine. Everyone's divine. My gut is telling me to get the fuck out of here, but everyone's divine. How do you reconcile that yeah, gut instinct? Self is saying, get the hell out, get the hell out. I mean, we have, we have intuition for that reason, you know, which is radar, but that's not necessarily fear. That's caution. So if you have a smoke alarm in the house, the purpose of the smoke alarm is to get you out of bed and out the door to put the fire out. It's not to terrify you. Do you understand that? So it becomes part of your operating system, I think, your intuitive nature. Now, what the guides say is you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's a really simple teaching. It goes back to who you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. It doesn't forgive the aggressor you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't let people off the hook for their behavior in other words you know but we also i suspect have to be willing to 
comprehend that there's an aspect of the divine that expresses in everyone and everything. Every, you know, and that, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, pacifying it and making it okay, excusing it. But the guides say we don't get to cherry pick what's divine. They say God is all things, you know, it's, it's, it's all things because it's the, it's finally the, the vibration that is all things. It's, it's what creates matter. The guides have said there's one note sung, one tone played in the entire universe. They can call that the word, which is their language which um, is in manifestation as everything. And everything that we see is in vibration at different levels of tone or octave. Hmm. So, you know, that doesn't mean that it, there can't be things that are terribly low and operating in fear or the denial of the divine, as the guides would say, in fact, there are. Um, but they're actually also giving us the tools to transform that in the books, to lift it so that we're not continuing to perpetuate the problems that we've inherited and we've come to expect to be there always. They say love is the one thing that lives in both octaves, um, which which I found really fascinating. I guess my question would be, why? And is it is does it live in both because it's kind of a remembrance of what is in both, or is it a vehicle that helps take you to the other octave? I get correct to that. But the idea of love has been misconstrued, has been misconstrued. You still think of love. You still think of it as an emotional construct. In fact, it is not. In fact, it is not. Now love is God. Now love is God, or what you might call God, or what you might call God, and consequently is available, and consequently is available in every strata of vibration, in every strata of vibration, not just this world, we speak to, not just this world and the one we speak to as the upper room as the upper room is actually present all it is actually present in all perhaps in different ways of experiencing perhaps in different ways of experiencing what is the source of all things but it is the source of all things so your understanding so your understanding of it piercing the veil of it piercing the veil or piercing the lower vibrational field or piercing the lower vibrational field to become present is actually true is actually true it is not conjured by an individual it is not conjured by an individual you don't conjure or make love you don't conjure or make love you align to love you align to love and let love come through as and through you and let love come through as and through you period and there's some period that's fascinating. Is the word then love? Do those... They're saying the word is the energy of the creator in action word itself. Word itself is the active principle. It's the active principle of the divine, of the divine love, if you wish to know it. Love, if you wish to know it, is the essence of God, is the essence of God, the essence that permeates the action, the essence that permeates the action. If you look at the idea of being, if you look at the idea, idea of being as consciousness, as consciousness itself, I am being, I am being the who that you are being, the who that you are being is in question, is in question. Am I being Paul? Am I being Paul? Am I being spirit? Am I being spirit? Am I beyond form? Am I beyond form? The ways of knowing self, the ways of knowing self and gradation, in gradation are useful in some ways, are useful in some ways because you understand that limitation, because you understand that limitation always happens, always happens at the exclusion of other things, at the exclusion of other things to live to the old to lift to the old or from the old, to from the old, to live from the old to a higher way of being, to a higher way of being is actually to transcend, is actually to transcend an idea of self, an idea of self that is a construct 
that is a construct, the construct of self. The construct of self is all this limitation, is all that is in limitation. The true self is not in a construct. The true self is not in a construct. It actually operates. It actually operates in awareness, in an awareness of itself, of itself in a plural state, in a plural state, the others of the whole, the of, the of as of the whole, I am of the whole, I am of the whole, and always have been, and always have been, period, in the same period. It's, um, it just makes you think that every, if, if we could embody that and, you know, and embody those teachings, how different every relationship would look. Yeah. I mean, they're saying, you know, and believe me, if anybody has contested the teaching, it's been me. You know, <laughs> like, is this possible? And they go, you know, it is. You know, I, it's who you really are, you know, without... It's like who the, who the, what the Christmas tree is beyond, we've been thinking the ornaments are the tree, you know, that's the difference, you know, the name of the tree is the tree, the tree is the tree. I actually, what I, what I love about these teachings for me is I get it, I get it. And then I'm like, oh, I get this. So then I'm like, all right, let's put it into practice. But then you try and put it in practice, you're like, holy shit, the well is deep. That's when you, that's when all of a sudden it starts like spinning and spiraling because you're like, oh my God, because you start to realize so many more like they were saying so many limitations on the self, well, the opposite of what they were saying, how many limitations on the self you put. You know, that's like when you start actually doing it, you're like, oh, this is, wow. You just really, it uncovers a part of you, you're and then other parts of you that you're just so unaware of. But at the same time, and this is where there's some relief, it, <laughs> it's not the small self who's doing all the work here. That's actually, this is, that's, that's almost antithetical to the process. So I don't think, hmm. I'd say if you have something buried in the basement, eventually it's going to stink up the whole house. So you're going to have to bring that, whatever's stuck there, that has to be brought to the light to be transformed. And that's an uncomfortable process for most of us. But it's not the small self who's necessarily doing this. You see, when the guides teach, they're teaching in some ways a, a mystical or alchemical process. Um, in the book of, I think it was the book of mastery, they came through with this claim, maybe it was realization, I have come, I have come, I have come. And prior to that, there have been a series of attunements. Um, I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve, I am free, I am free, I am free. They're all energetically very palpable, these groups. You can feel each one of them. There's a different torque, a different tone. You can work with a partner and do them. And then they said the claim, I have come, I have come, I have come, was as all those prior notes, they were all, like said, in tone, played at once as a chord. And this is the chord to be an accord, A C C O R D, or they would say A C H O R D is on a piano, is to move into this agreement. And they, they would say that the claim, I have come, I have come, I have come, it's not the small self deifying itself, saying, look at me, I'm spiritual, which right. the small self like to do. It's actually the true self, which they call the monad, you know, the divine self, the monad, they can call it the Christ itself. There's lots of names for it. I don't think it matters, the eternal self. But that's the announcement of the monad in expression. And they say once that's claimed, it's kind of like you flip the circuit breaker and all of the crap, you know, it's like you think of those, you know, panning for gold, 
you know? It's like all of the rubble is gonna come up too, but it's like, this is the process. This is how you get to the goal because you get to, that happens. You get to see the rubble and it can be moved aside. But I think this is the, pro- I think it's a spiritual process. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's heavy lifting, you know? I really don't. I think it's perhaps the biggest challenge is having to look at how deeply we may have disfigured ourselves and others through our fear or our, or our being stuck in these ideas of who we think we're supposed to be, you know, which is based on other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I love I love how they say, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, so make sure I'm getting this correct, how it's not that constructs don't exist and they exist in, in both they exist in both levels. It's just of which vibration they exist in. And so let's say partnership, it's, you know, people deem partnership to have to look and be a certain way. And if you're doing it to subscribe to that, then you're out of vibration in accordance to yourself. So therefore you're living in the lower octave, but you can have, it's not that partnerships can't exist. You can have a partnership as long as it's through the vibration that's in accordance with yourself, correct? And then that quote unquote construct can exist. It'll just, and exist in the upper room. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I found so fascinating is it's not that you get rid of, that life stops existing in the way you want. It's just the vibration of which you're living in it. Yeah, and it's, they say that when you go to the upper room, you become the doorway to it. That's really the, the, the key to the teaching. I mean, this is not a, it's not a selfish teaching. It's not a teaching of personal ascension and I'm going to be more divine than the next guy. I know, I but love you, that. <laughs> you become the doorway to it, you know, the portal to it. So you're operating and it's it's your being that does it. It's not that you're out proselytizing, you're trying to change. It's literally the energetic field that you hold or that you have aligned to, which is changing your experience, also transforms what you encounter by nature of being. And this is just like the law of entrainment, I guess, you know, if you're vibrating at this level and you come into this, the other thing can lift to you. And that's just done through being. And again, when you work with this stuff practically, like if you work with a partner and you work with the attunements, you can feel it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole physical thing. Do you it's, feel sick vibrations when you're getting the channeling? Yeah. Do you feel different vibrations with each book? Can you tell it's te- like, is a vibration feel different with the teaching? No, the attunements feel different with the teaching. Um, and there are different attunements. The book that was dictated here on, on Maui last um, summer, um, and I had to assemble a small group of, some of them were done in live streams with a lot of people, but I, I for regular transcription sessions, I can be in the group and there have to be active listeners. There it was the first workplace where I've done workshops where I haven't been able to do a practicum or say, okay, everybody take a partner and go off and, and then the guides will teach you how to work with the attunements. Um, this was just straight dictation. We were all working with the energy, but everybody was in their little Zoom groups. So it wasn't, you know, you weren't able to look into somebody's eyes and send the energy from heart center to heart center and be able to have a conversation about what it felt like. But the attunements were still completely palpable, you know, and the attunements mm. in the new book, um, Behold, I Make All Things New, which is a whopper. And God is, God is, God is, and it will be so. Those were the three that they were working with. And all of them really are about the reseeing 
or re-knowing of, of identity of matter, matter itself. They're talking about how matter is transposed through witness, you know, um, when you're when you're perceiving things beyond the way we've been taught to see, you're actually shifting your experience of, of not only perception, but also the object of inquiry that's transformed through it. And again, you can feel it when you work with it, which is the nice thing. So I don't remember if I answered your question or not. No, 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 you did. I've a, I'm curious, do they believe in, or not believe, soulmates? And the reason I ask that is because I feel like if you're really taking the teachings and you can embody them, then in a weird way, everyone could be your soulmate because you're seeing the divine in all. So I'm curious to know, is there really, because that attraction or that thing, that energetic connection, or is that just something that's a construct of us that you're we've created? There are people that you learn through in partnership. The partnership may be an important profession. The partnership may be important to an incarnation. You waste time, many of you waste time seeking a soulmate. Seeking a soulmate, assuming you haven't found one, assuming you haven't found one because he, or she, because he or she doesn't fit the bill of what one should be, of what one should be, what a soulmate may be. What a soulmate may be is the one you learn the most through, is the one you learn the most through in an incarnation. In mm -hmm. incarnation, the value of love, the value of love, compassion, compassion, dedication, dedication. These are all great lessons. These are all great lessons that may be known through relation, that may be known through relationship. The idea of a magical partner, the idea of a magical partner who will solve your problems, who will solve your problems is cultural is a cultural distraction, distraction that you've all created, that you've all created to improve yourself so that you don't have to be with yourselves, period. In the same period. Where did the separation begin? It's a big question. I'll see if they want to go here. Thank you. Yes, they're saying thank you. Yes, it's the idea of separation. It's the idea of separation. In fact, you are not separate. In fact, you are not separate, but you believe yourselves to be, but you believe yourselves to be an integrated system and have created a system to support that belief, to support that belief. God is present in all things. God is present in all things, but you still deny it, but you still deny it. Our teachers lift you beyond that denial. Our teaching is to lift you beyond that denial, so you can yourself, so that you can become, become, yes, reconciled with your true nature, which is of God, with your true nature, which is of God. The idea of separation is born in fear. The idea of separation is born in fear. The idea of lack, the idea of lack, the idea of one should have the next. The idea that one should have more than the next, that you must keep what you have, that you must keep what you have, lest there not be enough, lest there not be enough. The idea of separation from your fellow, the idea of separation from your fellow, man against man, man against man, or man against man, or humanity against humanity, if you wish, if you wish, was so severe, was so severe that you claim separation from the source of all things as well, that you claim separation from the source of all things as well. This was your creation. This was your creation. Now you may undo it, and now you may undo it. In fact, you may have to. In fact, you may have to. Humanity has created a means for self-destruction. Humanity has created a means for its self-destruction. We do not see that happening. We do not see that happening, but your fear is promoted. But your fear has promoted actions, actions of destruction, of destructions that can indeed be cataclysmic, that can indeed be cataclysmic until you remember who you are. And until you remember who you are in a higher way, in a higher way, you will fight your brother. You will fight your brother, damn your sister, damn your sister, because you think you're supposed to, because you think you're supposed to, or you think that's the wisest thing to do, or you think that's the wisest thing to do. It never has been or will be. It never has been or will be, period. Interesting, period. Wow. Um, 
on that note, on the opposite side, if everyone could embody this wisdom, and I know it's hard, but if the collective could get to that place of living that higher vibration, does incarnation in this regard stop? It's not in the least. There's more growth here. There's more growth here. There's more to be learned. There's more to be learned. The evolution is ongoing. The evolution of the species is ongoing. The choice is being made now at a higher level. The choice is being made now at a higher level or to, or to contribute to this evolution, to this evolution, this teaching that we bring through. This teaching that we bring through is a part of that, is a part of that. It's not for an individual. It is not for an individual. It's for the collective, but it is for the collective because the collective has the potential. Because the collective has the potential, and in fact, has decided and in fact has decided to move beyond the old paradigm of fear, to move beyond the old paradigm of fear. The kicking and screaming you experience now, you experience now are the last vestiges of fear, are the last vestiges of fear seeking to control, seeking to control in time this will pass. In time this will pass, but you must face the choices you've made in history. But you must face the choices you've made in history to damn your fellows, to damn your fellows. You're accountable to all of your choices. You are accountable to all of your choices, individually and collectively, individually and collectively, until you face what you've created in fear. Until you face what you've created in fear, you will perpetuate it. You will perpetuate it because you're operating independently, because it will be operating independently from you once it is seen for what it is, once it is seen for what it is, an idea made into form, an idea made into form, the idea can be changed in the form of taking one. The idea can be changed in the form can take a new one, period, period. Thank you. Thank you. That's fascinating. That's really fascinating, actually. And that's, I guess it's true. It's we're so one dimensional in that way that fear does become such a basis of where we're at right now. But I guess if it were gone, we would have a whole nother realm of discovery. I, you know, I, I mean, I don't know that fear's ever gone. Um, but I, I don't, what I understand is when you're lifting to a level, it's like, let's go back to that transom window metaphor. You know, out the transom window, you see everybody's boots on the street, you know, walking past your dark little window. I'm a 24, that's not the view anymore. You know, it's you're seeing something very, very different. So the idea of moving beyond fear is of lifting above it. Do you understand it? So you're yeah. no longer, it's no longer, I, I hate using words like operating system. I hate it. I hate it when people do that. And I try to avoid it, download. <laughs> I, I never say download, you know. Um, but, but I think we've come with an expectation, you know, when I was growing up, it was expected that if you were going to be successful, you were going to have to go to college, you know, I don't know if that's the expectation today. I think there are different expectations. It depends who you talk to, but yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> you understand that? And, you know, so things change and, and, and the construct of how things are supposed to work you know, are, are changing as well. So um, the reliance on fear, the idea that fear is our friend, they say is something that has to be moved beyond because they say fear is a trickster, it's a liar, you know? So you don't, you don't need to listen to it. Can I ask a question about contracts? So, because um, I know we all, we come in with a contract to do something, but what what is the contract and let's say what's the manifestation? So you say something fun in the book kind of, of like the grumpy old man or so is the contract, let's say, to be grumpy, like that's part of it, or is the contract whatever something else from the beginning? Like what how big how much does the contract 
and compass. Which what contract? Is Meaning, like when you're coming in, they they say how you have you make a contract to go through something, or you make a contract. How big does that encompass, and how much do I, we bring onto it ourselves? This is how I understand it: that we choose certain things that we need to learn, and then we create those opportunities to learn them. That's it. So my grumpiness, you know, is my personality, you know, and, um, you know, and, and that's okay. You know, that's part of the way that I present in the world. Um, but am I my grumpiness? No, it's a characteristic or a personality trait, but am I my personality? No, you're not either. The personality is a way of being expressed, but the true expression of the divine self is, is beyond that. You know, if I am loving someone and I have a scar on my face, it's not the scar on the face that's loving somebody. And I'm not the man with the scar loving. I am loving. You understand? I move beyond those ideas of self to something far greater and far more meaningful. I suspect it's why they say people become more beautiful when they're loved. And when you're loving someone, they become beautiful you know, because you're seeing them as they truly are. And you're, it's not that you're denying something about them, you're loving them inclusive of it. And, you know, I mean, we don't know, I'm told this, and I've struggled with this my whole life. We don't know that we're loved, you know, we mm -hmm. still think it's something that we have to earn or be good to get. And, um, you know, the guides have long said, you know, you were born, you have a right to be, no matter what. You know, you have a right to be. And um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, for many of us is that, you know, we're allowed a place at that table. You know, the, the idea of inheritance or the divine inheritance is gifted to us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good. We don't have to have a religion. We don't have to blame those things, you know, but we don't know that we're allowed to receive them because we've been told that we're, we're not. I mean, the whole teaching of the guides of the body is kind of extraordinary because they really do teach the divinity of form. And I've struggled with that enormously. But they say, you know, because you deny the divine in your own form, in your own body, you deny the divine in the natural world completely because you can't exclude yourself from that and then perceive it enough and something else. So, you know, it's like, um, you know, if the body is not holy, then how could anything in form be? And the realization of the divine in form, you know, as part of their, their teaching, and they work with that in really impactful ways. You can feel the whole body shift when you begin to reclaim it. It is so interesting for people, I think, to reconcile that because sometimes I think when you're going through spiritual teachings, it feels like it's be it, a lot of it is it's beyond this human incarnation. But then there is, and I talk about this a lot. You always have to remember, but you. You chose this incarnation for reasons. So you have to blend it. And there, if I remember correctly, there was a passage in this book specifically that's like, enjoy this form. Enjoy what you see through the eyes. Enjoy what you take through your nose. Enjoy this form and know how special this form actually is. It's, you know, it's not to deny everything. It, you have to learn that it's all, like you just said, it's all holy. Yeah, they say all is holy or nothing is. Period. That's it. You, really, you don't get to cherry pick. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And that's where I say the well goes deep because one would be like, yeah, of course you can't cherry pick. That makes total sense. And then all of a sudden you start to like notice where you cherry pick in your life all the time. 
all the time, I agree. You know, and that's often what we've been told to, to believe or to agree to, you know. I mean, it's not an easy, it's not a, it's not to say it's not an easy teaching, it's not a, it's not a convenient teaching. Right. It's not convenient to the way we've been brought up. But I don't think there's anything terribly new in what they're saying here. You know, the guides teach that the kingdom is what they teach. And they say the kingdom is the awareness of the inherent divine in all manifestations. And they say, it's already here. We just don't have the eyes with which to see it. We deny it, which is why they say the denial of the divine is the only real problem that we have. And what they've offered in the books is it's basically a system. I guess it's a system at this point because there's so many books. But what they're teaching is how to align at this level. You know, that's really where they're going with us. And I have to say, you know, I am articulate enough but I'm not bright enough to close my eyes and dictate now nine books that don't require any editing. You know, it's impossible, but it's what's happened. And I don't think that they've contradicted themselves yet in any of these texts. I and mean, it's really been consistent in, in its forward motion, its trajectory. And so at that level, I have to trust, you know, I, I listened, I don't listen to my own stuff at all. I don't like to hear myself channel. I whisper and repeat. I hear you. But I, I had to do, um, I, I was asked to read a channeling from the transcript for YouTube and put it out. I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, to say that this is being read, it's not the original dictation. But I read it and it was a channeling on love that was just done a couple of months ago here. And I was, I was floored by it. I thought, oh my God, this is, was really helpful to me. It's like, I didn't know this, you know, it's really good. And I'm grateful that the teaching is, is wiser than I probably, you know, you know, can ever be. But they're not giving us feel-good spirituality. You get to feel good at the end. It's not just, <laughs> it doesn't just get to reinforce. It's not about what scented candles we are, are you know, are, are, are playing, what incense we're burning and, you know. And, 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 and the fashion of, of, of the culture it has nothing to do with that. It's the way in, but that's not what it's about. Is there a, is that, do they, do they feel like, I mean, it's interesting. It could just be circumstance that now there's such a way to get information out, whether it's no. through books, the internet and this, or is there a call for kind of the frequency? Is there a specific call for why this stuff is coming through more? I think everybody's waking up. I don't think waking up is necessarily graceful at all. I think it can be misery. I think people are waking up faster than when I began my process, which, you know, I'm 59 now. I was 25 when I started to open up. And, um, you know, and I channeled in my living room for 18 years, you know, for a small group of people, people put 10 bucks in a basket. I wasn't looking to make a career out of research at all. Um, it happened once the book started coming and then I had to, to agree to it. Yeah. But I feel now people, I, I think the energy has changed. I think people can move more rapidly and I think that's great. Um, but I think people are waking up and I think the circumstances that we find ourselves in now, which is a lot of, you know, polarization and contradiction and fear coming up. I mean, I, I think it all has to be seen as great opportunity for growth because uh, that's the way to move through it. Yeah. So last question, and then we'll move to Q&A. You know, they say in the book, 
you, Paul, when you were in a crib, that basically you contracted to this, like you agreed before time that this is what you were going to do. Um, is part of that contract when it was going to start? Like how much is preordained? Funny that you asked that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was not what I thought I would be doing at all. I mean, I had a, a sort of freaky, mystical out-of-body thing when I was a kid that I now think is connected to this. But, sure. you know, I, I, I never thought of myself as particularly psychic. You know, I had a good imagination. You know, I was, you know, I, the other things, perhaps. But I was told when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, by two different women who were medium psychics, um, and they said, you're, one said, your real work's going to kick in at around age 48, and you have this whole other career, whole other life, so you have two, a second lifeline, and it goes longer. You have to take this break. You have to go, to go in this other direction. And um, she said, she mentioned my best friend from childhood, who said she'll be back in your life at that time. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. 48, she was back. 48, the first book was published. You know, And this other woman said, you've been veiled for your own protection until you're about 50, 48, 50 years old. And which means that you can't really, it's not really safe for you to be seen until then for what you do. And when I look back, when I was in my early 30s and starting to do little groups in my apartment, I wasn't ready to do any of this work. I had much too much crap to work through. Um, I'm at this place where I, I mostly care less about what other people think of me. You know, I've had to come to that. And some of that's been through some hard lessons. And I'm not saying that that's an easy thing for me still. But I'm grateful for the work that I do, but I don't think it makes me special. I really don't. I think that's a real trap. And I think when I was younger and I found out that I had some abilities, I was very excited by them. And I needed to find a sense of identity that gave me a sense of uniqueness. And then you'll learn the lessons of that and hopefully you move around it. I heard a Ram Dass lecture. I'm on Maui, so I hooked up with all this, the satsang around Ram Dass. They've become my friends here in my community. I'm very grateful. And that was all serendipitous. But one of my buddies there played me a Ram Dass lecture from the 70s. I never had read Ram Dass really. You know, I wasn't into his stuff and I think it's amazing. I hear it now. But there was this wonderful lecture where he talked about people coming into spirituality and then going through the period where they're wearing white, you know, and, you know, speaking in the jargon. And he said, but it doesn't really, he said, it doesn't really matter. That's a phase of it. He said, once you start the path, it never, it doesn't stop. It's just going to take, even when you walk away, and I walked away for a couple of years. I said, this stuff is too nuts for me. I just want to get a partner. I want to go do what I used to do. I said, forget this. I came back. He said, "You once you start, you're going. It's just going to look different at different times. And I think that that's very, very, very true. You know, we're just in different places on the, on the road. And I love that because it's a reminder, which I think, again, hooks into the den, that there's no subscription to how to do it. There's no right way to do it. There's no thing you have to eat or dress or drink or a certain meditation or a certain lineage. Um, there's different paths for everyone. So I love that. So I wanted to talk about our memberships. 
So if you are listening to this, no matter where you are in the world, you can now be a part of our community for $49.99. That's it. You can take class every single day, as much as you want. You can take classes 10 times a day if you'd like. Between our live schedule and on our on-demand library, you will have unlimited access. What's beautiful about this now is make it work for you. Whatever you respond to, however you are growing, you will have the ability to set your own schedule. And again, like I said, make it work for you. So join us. Become a denizen. $49.99. We can't wait to see you in class. Well, I'm going to wrap this up with actually, which I saved as the last quote from your book that I wanted to read, which literally, of course, because their synchronicity overlaps with what you just said. And this is from Alchemy. You cannot rethink it because the thinking is the issue. You cannot solve a problem by pounding at the problem and making it be what you wish it would be. But you can know love. You can say yes. You can agree to the divine worth. If your brother is suffering, love your brother. If your sister is angry, shower peace. show her peace. If those people there wish to fight, love them anyway. And I think that's just a beautiful way to go out, that we all have this immense power. I think we learn that and this divinity within ourselves and each other. And it's such a beautiful message. I am so unbelievably grateful for you. I'm grateful for this community, but I'm so grateful for you taking the time and you know, helping us all really start to understand who we are so we can see who each other, how we all are and start rising together. And it's really beautiful wisdom and teachings. And thank you for sharing them. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, always love talking to you. Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.